how not to get to heaven. You'll have to make notes on this one. Uh, by the way, the, the word Mark, Mark, that's your name, Marcus. Uh, mark means you, you hit the mark. You hit the mark. But we're going to talk about this young guy. He's, he's called the, the rich young ruler. And Matthew tells a story, Mark tells a story, and Luke tells a story about the rich young ruler. And I believe this was Mark. I'll bring that to the end of my message. I believe this man that we're going to talk about that actually walked away from Jesus at one point uh, is, is indeed Mark. And he, he hit the target in the end of his life. Thank God for that. So I think when I think of this title, How Not to Get to Heaven, I think of um, warning signs. And I'm going to be talking to all of us today. Uh, we are in danger. All of us are in danger. I think we who live in Coquitlam, Park Coquitlam, Burnaby, the area, are in danger. And there's some signs on the road that, wrong way, don't go this way, or there's a guard and they're doing some work in the road, and you can't go here, you got to go this way. That's what I think of when I think of this, this message. There's a, a strong warning, don't do this. Don't do this. Don't go here. Be careful. There's a passage in uh, Hebrews chapter 2 where the author is writing to the, the, the Hebrew people, and he says, watch yourselves lest you drift away. I don't think anybody would turn away from God. Just I'm just not going to serve God anymore. There, there's usually this drifting away. And that's what I want to address today, uh, drifting away. How, how do we do that? How do we avoid that? Let's, um, let's begin. Can we put that, that picture on the, the screen? Um, yeah. This, this is a picture. I've used it before. The, the, somebody has redrawn it. Thank God for that. But uh, there's, a, uh, there's a flow to life. Let's begin up at the top with pride, self-sufficiency, and then it goes to disobedience, oppression, slavery. We talked about in the song, the chains being broken, that oppression, slavery. We finally get to the place where we, the bottom of the circle, we cry out for help. And then God comes and delivers us. And then he returns the blessing. And then somehow we get to the blessing again and we fall again into pride. And we think we did it all ourselves and we fall back into the circle. I, I don't know how many times that circle is illustrated in the Bible. I'm, I'm sure it's dozens. I've been studying uh, with our Chinese group. We have a Bible study every Friday, and I've been studying um, the book of Judges. And, and the book of Judges, this cycle is seven, seven times. The blessing of God comes, and then over 20, 30, 40 years, they, they move away from the blessing of God. We, we tend to become self-centered and proud, and we gradually begin to fall into that the cap being captured by the chains of self-centeredness, and then ultimately we, we reap the consequence of that, we cry out for help, and then God sends a judge or a deliverer along and up and around. So this week we were on a story, and it, was just, it just fits so well with my message that I had prepared a few weeks before that. And I want to tell you that story very briefly. You turn in your Bible to um, the book of Judges. Hopefully you have your Bible with you, but... Um, We'll put the overhead on, on the screen here. I'll, I'll just tell you the story very briefly. Um, Gideon, you, you no doubt heard Gideon. Gideon was one of the great judges that um, ruled in Israel at that time and, and brought deliverance against a huge army of the Midianites. 
Eventually, Gideon died, and he had some sons. Uh, he had more than one wife. The culture of the day, never approved by God, but the culture of the day. And one of his wives from Shechem gave him a son called Abimelech. Abimelech. And Abimelech was just a, a bad guy. Even though he was raised in a good family, he was just a bad guy. And he wanted power. He wanted to be the king. And so uh, what he did to get power is he killed all of his brothers. He didn't want any other brother taking over any of Gideon's sons. So he killed all of his brothers. He had many of them. And so he would be the only one left standing and he would be the king. But one boy, the youngest boy, his name was Jotham. Uh, Jotham survived and he ran away and Abimelech didn't know that he was alive. And Abimelech was talking to the people of Shechem and said, I want you to make me the king. I want you to make me the king. So Jotham was very concerned about this. He knew how bad his brother was. So he climbed up onto a mountain, the Mount Gerizim, very famous mountain there. And he told a parable. He told a story. There's so much power in stories. And I want to tell you this parable. I want to tell you the story because it illustrates exactly what I'm going to be talking about with, with Mark in uh, Mark chapter 10. So here's, here's the story. I'm going to use it from the Living Bible. When Jotham heard about this, his, his brother, he climbed to the top of Mount Gerizim and shouted, Listen to me, citizens of Shechem. Listen to me if you want God to listen to you. And I, I would say that every Sunday. I would say, listen to the words of the worship song. Listen to the message. If you want God to listen to you, we must listen to God. And this is a word from the Lord. And then he told this, this story. And see if you can figure this story out. It's a parable. Once upon a time, he said, the trees decided to elect a king. First they said to the olive tree, be our king. Now understand, in the, in the Jewish world, in that world back then, olives are a symbol of health and beauty. They used olive oil on their bodies to keep their skin good. Uh, it, was, it was a kind of a medication that they used. So olives always speak of health and beauty. So the trees who wanted a king said to the olive tree, be our king. But the olive tree refused, saying, should I quit producing olive oil that blesses both God and people just to wave back and forth over the trees? So the olive tree was quite content on who he was and didn't want to move to do what God was calling him to do. He was content as the olive tree. So the trees went to the fig tree. Now in the Bible, fig trees are a symbol of prosperity. When Jesus said to Nathaniel, I saw you sitting under the fig tree, that's a Hebrew expression that meant, I, I know that you're a prosperous man, you've lived well. So figs speak of prosperity. So he said to the fig tree, you be our king. But the fig tree also refused, saying, should I quit producing my sweet fruit just to wave back and forth over the trees? The, the fig tree just saw his life. He was quite content with the life the way he was. He didn't want to take rulership. He didn't want to be the king. So they went to the grapevine. Now, grapes, obviously, is where we get wine from. And wine in the Bible, a grape speak of joy. So we've got health, we've got prosperity, and we've got joy. So they said to the grapevine, you be our king. But the grapevine also refused, saying, should I quit producing the wine that cheers both God and man and people just to wave back and forth over the trees. I'm content with my life the way it is, and I don't want to take that position of rulership. 
So the three, the olive tree, the fig tree, the vine, all refused to take that position of leadership. They were quite content with their life the way it was. So what that did is it created a leadership vacuum among the trees. Then all the trees finally turned to the thorn bush. Think of the, the bramble that the blackberries grow on, a thorn bush. And they said, you come and be our king. Because of the leadership vacuum, nobody took the position. They said to the thorn bush, you took our king. The thorn bush has no value to it. The thorn bush replied to the trees, if you truly want me to be your king, come and take shelter in my shade. Now, can you imagine if you've been picking blackberries lately, getting caught up inside the brambles of a blackberry bush, you're caught in the shade. And that's what he, he says, you have to be in my control. And I was just thinking of that song that Miss just led us on, that they are captured by the chains, and Jesus has broken our chains. They're, they're now in chains. He says, I will control you. Because of this leadership vacuum, they went to the bramble, and he says, you will take shelter in my shade. If not, if you don't, let fire come out from me and devour the cities of Lebanon. I am going to rule as a dictator, and you'll be under my control. You'll be captured by me. And of course, he was referring to Abimelech. Abimelech was a thorn bush. Nobody else would take the position of leadership. And so the thorn bush took over. Abimelech took over as the king. They made him king. And, and if you read the rest of the chapter, disaster was the consequence. Things fell apart. There was wars. And ultimately, it ended with somebody murdering uh, Abimelech. And the end of the story comes about 30, 40 years later. Uh, the consequences that came from making a bad choice of who would be your king. I saw that parable, and I saw those, those three, three trees, uh, the olive tree, the fig tree, and the, the vine the, that makes the grapes as us. Content with our world, we're caught up in our world, we're quite content in our world, and we don't want to take the place that God wants us as kings and queens and rulers in our world. So now let's come to uh, the big idea here. In contrast to the simplicity of childlikeness, we tend to get more entangled in an earthly perspective as we become more successful, and that will block our path to heaven. Success, so at the top of this circle, we get to the place of success, and all of us are successful. We're not just talking about rich people here. We're talking about all of us who live in this area. We're successful in our lives, and success is wonderful. It's beautiful. It's fruitful. It's fulfilling. But it also can entangle us so that we lose something, the wonder of God and the, the beauty of being a Christian. So success has this danger, and money has this danger of entrapping us like the brambles that would trap as Abimelech did. Come to the scripture that is below that on your notes in Colossians chapter 3, and Paul kind of summarizes this whole thing. He says, if you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. The danger is getting trapped in this world with the health and beauty, with the prosperity, uh, with all this, the trappings of success, being caught in this bramble, and that becomes the focus of our life, short-term, what's happening in this world. 
we show that other picture. Uh, I have a picture of the, the two worlds. Uh, this is kind of a graphic of how it works. Uh, we're living in this world down here below, but we have been uh, transferred, our citizenship has been transferred to the kingdom of God. So we're now members, we're now citizens of the kingdom of light, the heavenly places, the invisible world. And, but we live on the earth, but we're citizens of heaven. I, I have the prophet and the priest. The prophet is the one that brings the kingdom down to earth, and the priest is the one that takes us up to the kingdom. The pastor is the one that cares for the people down below. But the choice that we have all the time is whether my focus is on this world and, and the short-term life that we have, or we're seeking things above. So the olive tree, the fig tree, and the, the grapevine were all content with this world. They didn't want to take that place of rulership up above. That was the problem. That was the warning. So Paul is saying, keep seeking the things that are above. Keep seeking, keep moving out of this world and seeking the long term. Remember when I was a young uh, man, I was 18 years old, I was working in a job. Uh, I was going to Bible college at night and working in the daytime. So I was earning, I was earning a pretty good wage. I think it was $1.80 an hour. It was a union wage at that point. And I was pretty content. So I said to my dad, I want to buy a car. And I picked out a car that I wanted to buy. It was a uh, 1965, I graduated in 65, 1965 Mustang uh, Fastback. It was just a beautiful, beautiful car. It was $5,200. Now, I wish I'd bought it now, but anyway, it was $5,200 back then. And I, but I went to the car dealer and I didn't have the cash and I have to make it on payments over three, three years. And so they said, well, you'll need your dad's signature. You need someone to co-sign. I knew that was gonna be a problem. So I went home to my dad. I remembered specifically, my dad was in his bedroom. I said, dad, can I talk to you for a second? I said, dad, I wanna buy this car. I really need a good car. And I wanna buy this car. It's only $5,200 and I can make payments. I, I'm making $1.80 an hour and I can make payments for the next three years and pay off this car. And my dad says, well, Barry, you realize that would take all the money that you have. You, pay, you had to pay board and you had to, all the money that you have would go into this car for the next three years. Uh, and he says, that car will devalue. I, I, knew, I knew what he was going to say. So he refused to sign. He, he, he was teaching me and he taught me that I have to look long term. Barry, you can't spend all your money on a depreciating value right now because you have to think long term. One day you're going to get married and then you're going to want to buy a home and a family, etc. So you spend all your money on this short term investment. No, I'm not going to do it. I was very upset. You know, I, bought an, I bought an old car at that time and that was what I had because my dad wouldn't co-sign for me. He was teaching me to have a long-term vision. Well, that's wonderful and that was, that was a good teaching. I wish I had done that, but I didn't do it. But anyway, um, in this lesson, we are caught up in our world, so we're gonna live 70, 80, 90 years in this world here. It's very easy to get caught up in the, what's gonna happen in this world right now. My, my health, my beauty, my prosperity, uh, my happiness in this world right now, and not have the long-term vision be investing in eternal things, in eternal things. So that's the picture that we have here. It's so easy to get caught up in this short-term life that we have right here. It's all about this life. So that takes us to the story. So now you come to your, the story, and this is a story about Mark. 
It's in um, Mark chapter 10. Now, I don't know that you remember, um, but two weeks ago, I talked about the story before this. The story before this is about a child. And Jesus uh, was taking the child in his lap. The disciples tried to shoo them away. But he says, no, unless you come as a child, you will not enter the kingdom of God. And the key word that I asked you to circle or to mark was enter. You're not going to get in. You're not going to move into what I've called you to, the purpose and the destiny of your life. You're not going to enter into the kingdom of God unless you become like a child. Now, immediately following that story, and all of these stories in the Bible are placed here for a reason. And the reason that the next story follows is because it's now the opposite of that. It's someone that did not enter into the kingdom of God, this rich young guy. So he's comparing the child to this rich young guy. So now we have a guy coming along. Yeah, just following this story exactly. may not have followed exactly at that point, but in the Bible it is that because he's making a point for us. So let's come to the story in Mark chapter 10, verse 17. As he was setting out on his journey... A man ran up and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I want to enter the kingdom of God. Great question. How do I get in? How do I become a Christian? How do I become a kingdom man? That's the question he's asking. And he's, he's talking to Jesus as the good teacher. And Jesus says, Well, why do you call me good? No man except God, is good alone. So he's recognizing that there's something in Jesus that is God-like. He's really got a good attitude. This guy is open to receiving from God, even though he's content in himself, in his world, he's open to receiving from God. You know, Jesus says, you know the commandments. Do not murder, that's commandment number six. Do not commit adultery, that's commandment number seven. Do not steal, that's commandment number eight. Do not bear false witness, that's commandment number nine. Do not defraud or covet, that's number 10. And honor your father and mother, that's number five. You know those commandments. He said to him, the, the young man said, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. Now that may be an arrogant statement, but uh, he, he said it. And, and most young Jewish well-bred young men or young women would keep these commandments. These are the, the principles, the last uh, six principles from the Ten Commandments. And most young men would have kept these commandments. So no doubt he was a good, good young man. I kept all these from my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him. There's something about this guy that was just very likable. And Jesus loved him. And he said to him, you lack one thing. There's something that has, is holding you back. There's something blocking your entry into the kingdom of God. Now, if this guy were wise at this point, he would say, what is it? What is it? What's stopping me? I want to get in. What is it? You lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. So if you do this short-term thing right now, it will have eternal benefits, eternal consequences. You'll have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me, come on in, come on in, enter the kingdom. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, 
for he had great possessions. He walked away. Jesus had just invited him into the kingdom, entry into the kingdom. He told him how he'd get there. There's something blocking his way. He says, you have to remove this blockage to get in. But come on, follow me. And he said, no, I'm out of here. And he missed it. He walked away from eternal life. He walked away from the kingdom, like the olive tree, like the fig tree, like the grapevine. He walked away from the destiny that God had created for him. That's a very sad story. It's not over, thankfully, but sad story so far. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples how difficult it will be for those who have wealth. This is us. This is us who live in Canada, who live in Coquitlam. For those that have wealth to enter. Now he comes back to this theme that he's been talking about as with the child. It's difficult for us who have wealth to enter into the blessings of the kingdom of God. Because we get trapped in this world. We get trapped in the, the world that we live in. It's hard for us to stretch out and see the other world, see our destiny. Those who have wealth to enter, and the disciples, they were amazed. They, they thought the whole Old Testament concept was, and the, the Jewish um, friends of Job thought this, that if you have wealth, it's a sign of God's blessing. If you have beauty, if you have uh, prosperity, if you have happiness, that's a sign of God's blessing. If you don't have it, it's not. So what do you see? <laughs> the very thing that would show you that God is on your side, that God's with you, you're saying, I have to get rid of it? What, what's going on here, God? So they, they were amazed. They, what? But Jesus said to them again, children, <laughs> children, how, how difficult it is to enter. Here's that key word, and I've circled these enters. It, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's not easy. I'm, I'm writing a book right now. I'm just, just beginning it. How, how do you become a Christian? What, what is a Christian? And I think what, what's happened is we've simplified becoming a Christian so, so much that it's just raised my hand and now I'm a Christian. Now I'm a follower of God. Well, that's, that's true. It's, it's saying yes to Jesus. But there's much more to that. That's like throwing seed on the ground and it immediately springs up, but then it dries up because there's no depth of root. It's easy to get in, but how do I enter into, to see the kingdom, how do I enter into all the kingdom benefits? It's difficult. How difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easy for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person, that's, that's us, to enter, there, there's the word again, he's got it three times, enter the kingdom of God. Now that expression, a camel going through a needle, was a very common Asian expression. Uh, the, um, the Middle Easterners would often say it's difficult for an elephant to get through an eye of a needle. And because the camel was the biggest animal in that area, he changed it to a camel. But that's a, a, a hyperbole, an expression that sh it's just kind of a funny thing that he says. It's just that, it's that difficult. It's impossible. They were exceedingly astonished. Well, this, this is not making any sense to my world at all. If I'm successful, if I'm wealthy, I can't get into the kingdom of heaven. That's very bad news for us because we're all relatively wealthy. So they're just, they're exceedingly astonished. They were amazed before, now they're exceedingly astonished. And they said, well, who can be saved? 
Who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it's impossible. But, thank God for that but, but with God, all things are possible with God. Now, we need to explain how that works. This is just, it's impossible for me because I get wrapped up in my world. I need God's help to get into the kingdom of God. And now we have a, a reaction of the disciples. Peter began to say, see, we've, we've left everything, Lord. We, we, we did it. We followed you. And Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there is not one who has left houses, brothers, sisters, mother, father, children, or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with uh, persecutions in the age to come in eternal life. So you're going to get your blessing, Peter. Good, good for you. And then he makes this amazing statement, this paradox, paradoxical statement. Many who are first, those people that are educated, those people that look good, those people that are nice, those people that are obedient to the laws of God, those people that are kind, those people that are lovable, many of the first actually will be last. And the last, the ones that we don't think are going to make it, are going to be first. That's an amazing, amazing story. Amazing stories. So let's make a, a few observations of this story. The, uh, the young man, the young man, this likable, lovable young man, educated, handsome, uh, wealthy, successful, open, open to learning from Jesus, sincere, seeking eternal life. That's the young man. That's the kind of guy that I want in our church. That's the kind of guy I want to train for leadership. That, that's the kind of guy that would make a great business person, a great pastor, a great leader in the church. That's the kind of guy I want to marry my daughter. He's, he's got it all. But yet he never got in. He never got in. He was open-hearted, moral, likable, but he walked away. There is something that Jesus saw in this young man that was entangling him. It was a, a chain that was binding him and keeping him captive. He didn't even know it. It would be like a doctor finding something in your, your bloodstream, in your veins or arteries that was blocking the flow of blood. And the doctor says, you've got to get that out or you're going to lose your leg or lose your arm or lose your life. You've got to get it out. Jesus is saying to this young man, guy, we have a real serious problem. This is a matter of life and death. If you don't get rid of this problem right now, if you're not unlocked or unchained from this problem right now, you're not going to get into the kingdom of God. You're not going to, be a, you're not going to find your destiny you're not going to find the reason that you were created. You have been entangled in the brambles. And here's the, here's the scripture, Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon, it was a Babylonian god that represented stuff or, or money. So the problem with us who are rich, who are wealthy, who live here in this area and who live in Canada, 
is it's very easy. We have now chosen the bramble and we're getting caught up in it. I get caught up in it. We get caught up in the bramble and we lose sight of our eternal perspective. And it's going to actually stop us from entering into the fullness of the kingdom. And Jesus is very concerned because this guy is going to go to hell. This, this guy is bound by his, his picture of what's happening today. He is, he's bound by his mammon. And so Jesus is very concerned. He says, you've got to get rid of this blockage right, right now. This is the root issue. You've got to free yourself. It's a matter of life or death. I'm going to show you a scripture. Can we find that scripture? Ecclesiastes 5, 10, 11. Ecclesiastes 5, 10, 11. And, and, and Solomon wrote this. Solomon's that God had made wealthy. God had made successful. He wrote this in Ecclesiastes. He says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. And that's why people, even who are billionaires, want more and more and more. And we, we see these guys now that are, are billionaires, that they, they've conquered Earth and they want to build spaceships and go to, go to the moon or do something else. They're, they're just not satisfied. I want more. I want more. They'll not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When, when goods increase, what's the scripture? When goods increase, they increase those who eat them. So the more you have, the more is taken away from your money. And you'll never be satisfied with money. So money's wonderful. Nothing wrong with money at all. I like money. I like to have a house. I like to have a car. I like to have clothes. I like to have the things of life. But money has a tendency to control us. So the problem with this young guy is not that he had money. A lot of rich people in the Bible. The problem was that his money had him. And the money was his focus, and he was entangled in the brambles of his possessions. And he wasn't going to find his destiny, he wasn't going to find his purpose, because his focus was on earth. He wasn't seeking the things that were above it. He said, well, I, I don't want it then. I, I, I'm happy with what I have. I don't want what God has for me, and I'm going to be content in this short-term world. That was the problem that we have here. I'll bring it to a conclusion. Now, I want to compare this with our, the, the, the lesson on children. And the reason that children, and I, I give you four things that children have that we tend to lose as adults, a sense of wonder. Children have a sense of wonder. This young man had just met Jesus. He had just met God. He was standing in the presence of God, and he walked away. He had lost his sense of wonder. Children have a willingness to learn. And in the beginning, he was. He was very submissive. He bowed before Jesus. He wanted to learn. But as soon as Jesus said something that he didn't like, he walked away. I, I, don't, want, I don't want to do that. He, his willingness to trust God. I, 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 I will trust what I have. I'll trust my mammon. I'll trust my money. I'll trust my looks. I'll trust my, my health. I'll trust what I have rather than trusting God. He was losing his simplicity. He was losing the simpleness, and he was now entangled in what he had, and he literally walked away. If you remember the chart, the circle that we had earlier, he got up to the place of success, and, and what happens over and over in the Bible story is that success, wonderful as success is, success is good, but it entangled him, and he lost his perspective. He lost his teachability, he lost his sense of wonder, he lost his trust, he lost his simplicity, and he walked away from God. Jesus looked at the young guy, the young guy walked away. 
He lost it. And then that's the end of the story with the young man. We, we don't know anything else that happened to him in this particular story. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell the story, and it ends like that. But then Jesus has the but. He has the but. He says, Jesus looked at his disciples and said, with this man, it's impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. With God. God can do it. I, in the human world, we're going to get trapped up in this, this uh, mammon world. And God is the only one that can get us out of that. So this guy turned away from God. Now, I believe this young man was Mark. Uh, we know that Mark uh, was raised in a, in a wealthy family. His mother was Mary. And we, so we have the story that follows. Now, this happens in March 30 AD. Jesus died in April 30 AD. So one month later, Jesus is in Gethsemane. All of this is in the Bible at this timing for a reason. He's in Gethsemane. Now, remember, Gethsemane is the place of the press, the olive press. Gath means pressure. So Jesus is under pressure. But the disciples are also under pressure. And so now the soldiers, the temple soldiers, come to arrest Jesus. He's finished praying. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done, Father. He's finished praying. The disciples are all around him. And, and then this comes this verse here. A young man followed him. Now, only Mark tells the story. Matthew, Luke, John don't tell the story. A young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. I believe that Mark had turned away from God, but he came to his senses and he realized, I have just left my hope. I have just left the meaning to my life. I have left my kingdom purpose. And he turned around and he became a follower of Jesus. And all he had, all he had was his toga wrapped around him. Maybe his under, they wore kind of a sheath underwear. He had his toga. He, he had a toga. So the temple soldiers are grabbing Jesus. All the disciples run. All the disciples, not just Peter, but all the disciples run from him. And they seize the young man, but he left the linen cloth and he ran away naked. He ran away with nothing. Very embarrassing, but actually fulfilling what Jesus had told him. Leave it all behind. He couldn't leave it all behind. He had his toga. Finally, he lost that. He ran away naked. This is a humiliating story. Only Mark puts that story in. I think that's Mark. Now, follow that through. One, so now Mark has now left everything. He's a follower of Jesus. He's now run away from fear, from the cross. And the next time we see Mark is one month later. Jesus dies on the cross. He spends 40 days with his disciples. And then we go to the house of Mary. Mary is Mark's mother. And in that house, in Acts chapter 2, there's a revival going on. The Holy Spirit fell. They spoke in other languages. And they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. Peter got up and preached. Mark was there. John Mark was there at that place. One month later, life began to unfold for him. And his life was trans transformed. He was changed. He grew up, he probably was around 20 years old then, but 15 years later after that, we see him again. Now he's a young, a successful entrepreneur, businessman, follower of Jesus. And his uncle Barnabas is friends of the Apostle Paul, and he wants to go on a missionary trip, and he says, I want to bring John Mark with me. Paul says, sure, that's fine. So he takes young John Mark, now it's 15 years, now about 35 years old, takes him on this missions trip, 
and, and literally his life was transformed. Some things happened, some ups and downs happened during that time. And then the next time we see Mark, he's not one of the, 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 the main characters of the Bible, but the next time we see him, he's with Peter in Rome where Peter is being crucified upside down. And Peter has become the mentor of Mark, and Mark is now about 50 years old, and he writes this book. His life was literally transformed. He finally got it that if I, if I keep seeking what's in this world, if I keep accumulating what's in this world, I'm never going to enter into all the fullness of what God has. But if I leave it behind because it's stopping me, when I leave it behind, I'm going to find the destiny that God's created for me. That's what God's got for all of us. How do we get into the kingdom of God? How do we enter the kingdom of God? What, what's stopping us? Where's our focus? What are we seeking? Let's pray. Well, Father, I, I, I really am convicted by this story. Uh, I, I, I see success. I see us in our world, myself, us in this world, probably everybody in our church, Lord. We've reached this place, and, and we're in a dangerous spot. We're in a dangerous spot, Lord, where success will actually control us. Rather than us controlling our money, our money is now controlling us, Lord God, and our focus is short-term. And I don't want that. I, I don't want my focus to be on this world. I want my focus to be on eternity. So, Lord, I want to be free. I want, I want you to break the chains that would tend to encircle me, the bramble that I get caught up in, Lord. I, I want to be free to enter into the fullness of your kingdom. I, I want to keep seeking the things that are above. And that's my prayer for our church, Lord God, that we would seek those things that are above and not get caught up in what's down here in this world. I ask for that in Jesus' name. And if you agree with me, say amen. 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 Amen.